Warning, this episode contains many references to badgers. Well, what would you expect? It is called Badgers Bend. Welcome back to Don't Slam Your Podcast. We're now in the third episode of the third series of 2.4 Children. Today, we have a new guest joining the pod. It is Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Thank you very much for joining me today. How are you? Hi, Jody. I'm great, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Um, really glad you've come on the show. You, you got in touch with me. I think it was at the beginning of, of last year. It was just the end of last mm-hmm. year. Um, you got in touch and um, we're really glad to have you on seems like time's going so quick because I was starting the podcast only yes feels like only yesterday now we're on series three already I know goodness yeah so what we'll do is before we go into the review I do the 2.4 initiation uh, which is just some questions about your experience with 2.4 children so first question is uh, when did you first discover the show well I was born in 88 so I can't remember it right from the start, but um, it was on as I was growing up as a child. I seem to think that the very first episode, but probably not the first episode I ever watched, but the first episode that I ever remember watching was um, Family Plot. So the one would be um, Power Outage. And I was just hooked on the show. I just, I just loved it, fell in love with it. I think it's such a good show. Um, so yeah, and ever since then, it, it has uh, kind of come in and out of my life throughout the years. Nice. And what's your favourite episode? Favourite episode? I can't narrow it down to just one. So obviously this one, Badger's Bend, I think is great. Um, I also love um, kind of like the, the double episode of Frenzy and You Only Live Twice. So yeah. Jenny's performance in the school play and, and the house fire, the lottery episode. The Deep, and I think if I had to round it off as a top five, maybe um, the Drool Bars episode. Yes, yeah, that, yeah, that's one that I remembered quite a lot as a kid. It's a very popular one with people. It's always, it's interesting when you speak to people and it's always either episode titles and, and you just have to say one word, like the Drool Bar episode or the Lottery episode, and you just know instantly. That's what I love Absolutely. about the show. You just kind of know the go-tos of episodes and what they're about. So what's your favourite series? Favourite series, I think I think the most consistent series for me is season four. Um, just thinking about, again, Jenny's performance from School Play and The House Fire. Um, also, is that the one with the Chain Letters episode? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love that one as well. Um, so I think most consistent series is series four, but love any of them. I'll take any of them. Brilliant. And uh, who's your favourite character? Oh, definitely Bill. Just absolutely, definitely Bill. I love her witty, um, dry sense of humour. Um, but also really how every other character gravitates towards her. And she's just got such a can-do attitude, hasn't she? I mean, if you imagine her in what we're going through today, she'd just be rolling up her sleeves and getting on with it, wouldn't she? Hundred percent, she really would. She's um, she's very political, isn't she? The way she always says about Thatcher and ranting about <laughs> the Tories of the day. And if she was around now, well, if the show was on now, she'd have so much to say about it. Oh my goodness, yeah. I I, I just I, I just love her so much, and I think she'd be a great friend as well. So if you if you had any kind of issue and you phoned her up. I think she'd give you some really good advice. I think she'd probably give you a bit of tough love, 
you might not want to hear what she's got to say at the time, but um, I think you'd look back and think, I needed that. Yeah, that's the thing about her. She, she's, um, she is a very different kind of character, in sitcom, and certainly to a sitcom mother, they're usually quite mm. kind of cutesy and, and always wrapping up the people in cotton wool, but she's not like that. I, I agree with you. She's very, um, she, she's, uh, she, she gives tough love, um, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think so. But also, honourable mention, Yeah. Um, and I might be making myself very unpopular by saying this, but honourable mention goes to Angelo. Yes, interesting. Okay, yes. go ahead, ex- explain your, um, your, your fascination with that character. Just because, in the same way that Bill would give you the tough love and give you some great advice, Angelo would do the same thing but perhaps in a much more, um, what's the word I'm after? A much more sympathetic, empathetic kind of way. Mm. And maybe because Bill is such a kind of a, kind of a, a tough character, she wouldn't respond very well to her own kind of advice. So maybe that's why she needed that more kind of softer, empathetic side. I like that, I like that, um, that theory and, and idea. Because he's a he's a character that I think divides people, um, mm. fans that I've spoken to, um, more probably towards not liking him or not not, yeah. or not feeling he was used as to the full extent he could have been. Um, so that's it's always good to hear um, different views on every, every all aspects of the show. So very nice honourable mention there. So yeah. final two questions: um, Do you think the show's aged well? Yes and no. No, because. A lot to do with the fashion. I think it's it's a very nice show, and fashion often comes around. We've seen the revival of the sixties, seventies, eighties. I don't think we'll really see that for the nineties. Um, you know, for the for the clothing, for um, and and you know, just just the difficulties that a lot of people had with um, with recession and such. Um, but yes, in terms of kind of kind of building on the recession as well, yes from Bill's attitude and her resilience. And again, looking at what's happening today, thinking about her character and, and how she um, how she would be here dealing with the situation. Um, and also just, you know, thinking as, as, as from her point of view as, as a more of like a, a feminist character and, and how um, she just did anything that she wanted to do. She just put a mind to it and did it. And, you know, we're all going through something quite horrible right now, but we're all just getting on with it. So I think kind of that mindset is very much, yes, it, it is very relevant today. Yeah, I think it's it, one thing I've noticed doing the uh, episodes, even just up to where we are now in the series, it's quite prophetic to where we are today in, in social attitudes. You can sort of see the, the seeds planted in certain social, social um, areas in the mm. early 90s and, and how it's reflecting now. Um, and I think that makes it very um, interesting to watch, but also some also relatable, because although it is very of its time, it's still relatable to today. And um, I agree with what you say about the, the fashion though. It's interesting yeah. because I think there was a few years ago when there was a bit of a resurgence on TV revivals of 90s shows. You had X-Files, Twin Peaks, an Ab Fab movie, Birds of Feather. Oh yeah, yeah, there was one. It was t- it was sort of more kind of, and then Spice Girls reunited. So I think in the pop culture, it, it sort of did. I agree, there was no real um, 
flair for the fashion. Weirdly, we're in the 2021 and there's already a bit of a thing for the two, the noughties and the emo fashion. I think people are, are it's kids in Generation Z apparently who were in who were jealous of anyone who lived through the 2000s. It really wasn't that good. If you ask anyone between the 60s and 90s, was it a good decade to live through? They all say yes. 2000, I think most people just say not really, to be honest. I think so. I think the millennium happened and then. It just went downhill. It really went downhill. Sorry, but we'll not. We won't delve into too much of that. You know, not to nine from nine eleven to COVID nineteen. So, final question, um, sort of goes on from the last one. Why do you think the show's been forgotten about in the last twenty years? Um, It's a very cynical sense of humour, and I think that. It's so quintessentially British in that cynical attitude and the sarcasm that I don't necessarily think it it translates very well internationally to a bigger audience. So if you think about something that it really is kind of that screams British mainstream like Faulty Towers or Keeping Up Appearances, you know, a lot of the countries view us Brits as, as being very much kind of like that and not that attitude. Whereas this show is very much of its own, with its own cult following, um, about the experiences of one, you know, not not necessarily entirely on the breadline, but a family who are working class who do struggle. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not universal to all of British culture. I think the other thing is it's like I said before, it's also very nineties, and it's not a timeless show. And that's not me saying it's not good. That's just me saying that, you know, there's, there's references that pertain to that era. Um, and, you know, people naturally move on if they don't want to stay. Um, and also, and I'm, I won't, I won't, you know, drag this point out, but also my family came about. Um, no more needs to be said about that. <laughs> Less said the better, probably. <laughs> Less said the better. Yeah. A lot of people with, with compare it. Um, UK Gold episode synopses constantly say it was a precursor to my family. And if anything, it's probably actually more like one from the grave in terms of Absolutely. the style. So, yeah, I completely agree with all those points there. I think people are really missing out, though, with the show because it, it's it's such um, such a hidden gem. Um, one thing I think it has that a lot of BBC sitcoms don't have is great continuity with an ongoing storyline throughout it all. So throughout any time in the series, they will make reference to something that happened before. Yeah. And a lot of shows don't do that. And also, I don't think I don't think the show, the show lasted long enough to become stale. No, no, great. So, you know, like, um, hello, hello, or are you being served? I think they started out so strong and were so good, but they just went on for far too long. I mean, how much further could they have gone with 2.4 children, really? Yeah, I, I've, 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 I've said this before. I think it is one of those where, obviously, it ended under tragic circumstances and absolutely obviously wouldn't want it to have ended for that reason. But I think it probably did end at the right time. I think the Millennium Experience is a good final episode as far as an unexpected series finale goes. It doesn't really end on anything particularly, you know, hanging in any way. It does kind of bring it to a close 
Um, I think it, I think it, I think it kind of ended at the right time. As I say, if if it would have not under the circumstances, why had it had to end? I know, and but I mean, it is very tragic with what happened. But when you think that you know, Rona and Bill now had their own business. Jenny had gone to university. David had grown up. Um, you know, he was he was probably going to be thinking about university. Um, so yeah, uh, and, and Rona gets pregnant. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So I think I think the only thing I would have liked to have seen is perhaps some kind of like resolution to things at the start. So like bring Angelo back around. I think it would have been really good to say if if that was all explained at the end. Yeah. I don't know, but perhaps that's a chat for another time. Yeah, you never know that. But I think I've I've got a um, an article um, on a website called Horrified um, about British horror about two point four children, and I've kind of made my own theory of of the Angelo character and what he might represent. So I'll I'll send you a link to that because I have a feeling he might have actually had his presence is kind of lingers throughout the series, it, it subliminally. I'll send I it to you. have I have seen that JD. I did not know that you did that. Oh, <laughs> yes. They call me John Doe. They refer to me as John Doe on the on the thing, and I'm not a missing, unidentified dead body. <laughs> I'm John David, not John Doe. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I was really impressed. That's amazing. I, I loved all your theories, but... Oh, thank yeah. you. Cheers. <laughs> well, um, you've passed your initiation. You always go into. Anyone listening who hears me say that every time, you can neck back your shot of tequila <laughs> and we will go on to the third episode of series three two point four children this is badgers ben okay here we are now with episode three badgers ben which is named this is a really really obscure reference it's named after a, a what i can only dimly recollect was a children's program that anglia television used to show and i think i have a i have a sort of very vague memory that it was something to do with a, with a country vets uh, or some such thing. Anyway, Badger's Ben, that's what it's named after. And it, it deals with Ben's addiction to the uh, Ninja Badger uh, video game, which was sort of loosely based on um, Sonic the Hedgehog. We've had little drawings of, of Ninja Badger on the on the on the um, game case at the time. I, I, don't know, I don't know if they show up in the program or not, but they were they were not dissimilar to uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, only only with a, with a badger. Um, we also have Rona visiting her old Catholic school. Now I think there's something in Rona's psychology. She was brought up in in this very very strict school where the nuns are incredible disciplinarians and I, I, I sometimes wonder whether that explains her sort of more uh, laid-back lifestyle that once she escaped from school she decided to you know go completely wild as a sort of protest and it sort of led to her uh, her, her life uh, later and uh, we <laughs> she, she gets caught in a terrible uh, conversation with a with a with a very self-righteous um uh, ex-classmate played by the great Tessa Wyatt uh, very, uh, some very very funny uh, lying goes on that she uh, later feels terribly guilty about and uh, I think we uh, we also have unless I'm mistaken the first reference to Don't Go Maya where Bill is goes down this mysterious dark uh, subway and uh, 
has a terrible shock now this was uh, this was heavily cut from what we originally shot originally we had this notion of what we called the dark angel that sort of followed on from from the I don't know what you might call the good angel who was the biker in episode uh, episode 1 to 12 uh, and um, she went down into we, we filmed all this she went down into the subway and there was a horrible sort of scrabbling noise and she there's this kind of uh, pile of uh, mysterious rags in the corner and she went over to what looked at first like a homeless person sort of squatting in the darkness and then he turned around and had a really shocking sort of demon-like face with uh, with uh, yellow contact lenses such as we, we later used in Strange. Um, so we filmed all this uh, and um, I think we came to the conclusion in the end that it was just far too frightening for, for uh, the 8.30 slot. So we sort of streamlined it a great deal uh, and uh, it, it basically ended up as, as the version you see today. I, I wish we kept the footage of this. We didn't really keep any outtakes um, I've looked through all my old sort of ancient VHSs and things of, of early cuts and things to see if we could find it. But uh, sadly, we, we just didn't know anyone would ever be interested in this sort of thing years later. So we, we just didn't really bother to keep them, which is a bit sad because I'd like to have shown it to you uh, out of interest. Uh, the voice you hear saying, don't go mire, is that of Richard Bowden. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd just like to say that, you know, there's a lot of talk in the podcast of... of, of what I was doing with the script and all kinds of things and of course I was heavily involved in the production and was always there at all times but uh, Richard Bowden made the most enormous contribution to this show let's not forget his wonderful talent uh, you know we owe such a lot to him he's, he's a really great producer and he's you know gone on to do all sorts of other things like um, Barbara on ITV and, and later on uh, Count Arthur Strong, which I absolutely love. Anyway, here it comes, Badger's Bend. This is an episode named after a kids' TV show in the early 60s called Badger's Bend. Never heard of it myself. I don't know if it's got the same long-term status as something like Blue Piece. Have you ever heard of it? I've never heard of it, no. no. I know um, Badger and Badger. I remember that. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> we're quite of this. We're very similar era, so yeah, that was a great show back in the day. And this episode, uh, it sees um, Ben addiction to the video game Ninja Badger, which we've seen him play in the previous two episodes. Bill and Rona's having issues with getting work for their catering business, so Bill, so Rona goes to a Catholic school reunion to get some work and the episode turns quite chilling so we start the episode with ben at a job with christine very tired keeps falling asleep um, and repeating his words christine's trying to get him to explain how the trade actually works and she's she's just on on top form i love it when she says you know if i wanted to hear the same words over and over again i put on a morrissey record <laughs> yeah i and, know how she feels and I think Ben has a bit of a Morrissey haircut at this point, doesn't he? <laughs> he does actually. I didn't thought about that, but he does. Yeah, I mean he's quite um I mean he's, he's quite grumpy in this episode, so I suppose he's also um donning the persona of Morrissey as well. I think um how many fingers am I holding up? 
how many fingers am I holding up? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. I, I love the banter between them both. Yeah, and, and it's kind of, um, it's pretty clear that she's kind of not giving him any um, excuse. She's almost going back at him saying, you need nearly hit a cyclist before and stuff. So even though she's his assistant, she, well, she doesn't like being told what to do anyway. Um, whenever he tells her to do something, she's like, why? Why do I have to? Why can't you? So she does give him a lot of lip all the time. Absolutely. It's a good job that she's there because he's falling asleep. I mean, I don't want to fall asleep with a battery in my hand. Or no, and gas coming out. So that's a great way yeah. to end the, the scene. Um, we have a next, we go on with Bill and Mona in the car. It's a close-up of them in the passengers and driver's seat. Bill mentions that it's embarrassing and we've got a group of men um, in the RFU practicing football. So it's a police football team. <laughs> They're pushing the car, all and and it is just like Polly Rona's best, living her best life. Bunch of football lads in shorts, pushing the car, all chanting, and then when they're kind of going to the street, they they're, they're kind of going quite quiet, and they're not, um, they're losing their energy. It's yeah, she's just having the best, she's having the best best time of her life. She's having the best time, and I think um, Bill's having a worse nightmare with yeah. how embarrassing it is. I mean, I love, I've, yeah. um, I've broken down twice and I've had to be pushed and, oh, I hate the attention it draws to you. But obviously, Rona absolutely loves it. She, you know, she was about to go in the shower bottle of the month, she? she probably has done all that, done that before <laughs> anyway, to be honest. <laughs> um, I love the way that they have to jiggle the car into a parking position on the pavement. They just, they, it, it, it just looks so uncomfortable if I, if Bill and, and Rona in that scene. Um, mm. And what I like is the fact that the end of it is, although, you know, she's flirting with them and, and wants to offer them a drink and stuff, um, doesn't get away with the fact that a car's not in a roadworthy condition and goes off with a caution by the police officer. And it's just quite funny that these are, it, of all the, the football teams they could find, it's a police officer who's able to recognise that and, and notice those qualities. It's yeah. just Bill's luck, isn't it? Yeah, and it's just more problems for them financially. And going to, into the living room, you, you mentioned before about the um, references, very 90s. Bill bought Jenny a magazine, just a magazine alone. I don't know anyone who really, I don't know any teenager who reads magazines anymore, do you? No, no I don't. And, uh, but she wanted Les from Home and Away and got Mark from Take That. Bill says they all look the same. And I've, I've, I've Googled this Les from Home and Away. And he does look exactly like Mark from Take That. I would have thought that considering when this, when this show aired, I'd have thought that Mark from Take That would have been more impressive than Les from Home and Away. Yeah, you but, think. <laughs> but perhaps she wants to be rogue. Perhaps she doesn't want to follow the crowd. Well, that's um, it. Maybe. But um, Jenny comparing like, Bill's day to Woodstock. And I think, again, another reference. And I think, and I, I laughed at that reference and I thought about it and I thought, well, actually, would it have been? Because this is early 90s. Woodstock was late 60s, wasn't it? Yeah. Maybe it would have been about 10 years out, maybe. Possibly. I mean, I think Bill is probably born in the 50s, I'd say. And so she'd yeah. been a teenager, young teenager, or maybe 16 when Woodstock, when Woodstock happened. Um so even then, even in the early nineties, Woodstock was still quite a, a it was quite a, a legendary festival. And now it's oh, yeah, half, now it's half a century on, 
it's it's it just shows it kind of shows actually when they reference things that were classic even in the 90s and still are now you know like the prisoner episode for example the prison is still a very popular cult show even to this day so it just yeah. goes to show things can um that trends and, and popular culture references continue on forever and and we i love when rona says that she previously slept with the mot inspector and said that he <laughs> get many miles on her last on the car so you know she's um she knows how to play the game if she needs something doing but uh only so much can happen it's only so many mot inspectors you can sleep with until a car breaks down basically well it's probably running out of them isn't she well definitely and i love the um the the reference to cheap save that bill's going to be shopping there do you remember quick save i do remember quick save my brother worked there Really, it, it was my local supermarket when I was very, very young, and then it turned into a summer field, and now yeah. it's a um, Aldi. So yeah, it's kind of gone through the various. I don't think QuickSave exists anymore. It doesn't now, but I think I think everyone grew up with a cheap save at the end of our road, didn't they? Yeah, it's, it is real, isn't it? Cheap save. Um, I was think. It- I, I, I don't know, um, but I, I think everyone grew up with some kind of perhaps questionable budget supermarket. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, I, I had a spell in Lidl and M&S at the same time. I worked, but I worked in both supermarkets at once and there was a massive difference between them both. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> but um, both of them were much better than cheap safe, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way that they describe it, that the biscuits are old dog biscuits made into a different shape, and that's why they're so cheap. Or when Bill <laughs> lifts off the, pe- the the kind of people there, rough boys, suicidal-looking women, old dears who thought their pensions would be enough to feed them. And then when she says they make them leave their false teeth at the front so they don't taste any product without paying. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, I remember um, I worked at Smith's for a bit, um, and I remember a guy bought a Galaxy bar and he ate it by the time he... I mean, we, and he did come to the, the self-checkout and pay, well, to the, 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 the cash register and paid, but had to uh, basically scan a broken wrapper, Galaxy bar wrapper. Yeah, and he'd eaten it. So he paid about, what, about 60p for a bit of plastic? Yeah, I think he just wanted something wrapper. to eat around the shop. I mean, at least he paid, to be fair. I mean, which is good, but it just goes to show. I love the product placement in this show sometimes. And if you watch One Foot in the Grave as well, things like Sainsbury's bags or B&Q bags or things that are around now and what they look like then. Because while Bill's talking, she's unwrapping cellophane off a box of PG tips. And it's like a a medium rectangle size um, tub of of PG tips. I don't have... I've seen ones like it for... um, so that's once you get in Yorkshire tea bags now, because I think generally speaking, PG tips, you get either big ones, small ones, and um, Yorkshire tea and tea and Tetley's you get in a in like a sort of rectangle box, almost like um, a little chest box thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get absolutely huge boxes of it, can't you? Oh, God, yeah. I used to drink um, PG tips and then I used to always get them when they were on offer for the big, <laughs> the big tub, which mm-hmm. I, I always worked out was every six weeks it would go on offer. It's amazing when you go to supermarkets, what you kind of notice the, the common trends of, of deals and you just plan ahead and, and think about getting stuff in. And then when you're out, there's another deal. Well, it's the most exciting thing that some of us do right now. So 
Oh, I know. I, I literally thought that recently going into analogy. I was like, this is the most fun I've had in ages. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Bill, Bill, Ben comes in very angry and Christine tells them what happened. And I love her kind of come back and says, if I struck a match when I came back, we'd all be over the rainbow with Judy bleeding Garland. Again, oh, my goodness, I love that. Another reference. It's good, but it's a very funny joke. Sort of referencing Judy Garland has been dead for a long time by then been a very long time now over the rainbow all that and, and yeah it's just very just a very good comeback line of christine it's amazing and um, i love her um i love her other one as well in this scene when bill offers her a, a, a cup of tea no thanks i don't i hate dog biscuits <laughs> yeah and also <laughs> when um rona asks her if the if a does your brother still deal in scrap and she goes does mother Teresa wear a tea towel on her head <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, no, it's 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 a really, um, it is great. I, lo- I love Christine. She's a really um, cool character. There's a guy on uh, called Sitcom Stephen who's on the second, third show, but our second episode review. And he mentioned it would have been really cool if they'd done an episode, a two-hander with Ben and Christine on a day out and work. I just think it would have been so good to have a whole episode about them and to get to know her even more because she's a fantastic yeah, I- character. That would have been great, and I'd, I'd loved a um, a Christine-centered episode. Yes, she's a popular yeah. character. A lot of people I've had on the show said that that she's their favorite character. No, she is. She, she's she's probably my second favorite secondary character. Yeah, after Angela. Yeah, she, she's great. Yeah, and. Bill wakes up um, in the middle of the night to find that Ben is playing the Ninja Badger on TV downstairs. And as I say, he, he played it in episode one and played it in episode two. So they were planting the seed for the fact that he was obviously quite into this game. And I love the, I still maintain the best game consoles ever were ones like Mega Drive. That's what my brother had. Oh my goodness. I, yeah, I was addicted to Mega Drive. Did you ever play Aladdin? Yeah. Aladdin, Streets of Rage, Sonic. Um, even Paperboy, uh, Golden Axe. I loved. Yeah, I absolutely adored it. And also, um, biz, um, we had. I think we had Mickey Mouse's Magical Castle game. Um, that was a re- they were. Yeah. It was a really great um console. And I like. I don't quite know what the console David's got, but it's it's like one of those ones with a. It's almost like the Atari. Um, with the the the, the controls almost like. Not like typical control that we have today, like the Mega Drive had. It's one that's like a stick. It's like almost like um, pardon my 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 terrible knowledge of jargon. Um, in a car, the big stick thing. Um, the joystick. Joystick, yeah. That's a dreadful yeah. word. <laughs> the joystick. It is, it's it's really bad. Um, and yeah, it looks like that. I don't know how you'd be able to use it, but um, he won't get off it. And he just can't stop. And you can tell that Bill's just trying to sort of get him off and it's not working. And he's trying to get to level three because he's never been able to. And she says there's a trick to it. And, and actually, going back to Mega Drive, there was always tricks to getting to the next level to those games, wasn't there? And I think it really kind of um, really, really illustrates how Ben is the, the point for child. Because I remember as a child getting to the next level was like like the, the goal of the day. It was so important. Um, even like coming home from school, like unlocking a hidden character on her, even, even on like a PlayStation game, 
yeah. so a few years later yeah so um i completely sympathize with ben there <laughs> yes and it's also quite um prophetic in that obviously at the time i reckon what you find with all these different um sort of uh developments in technology and, and, and home entertainment even things like comic books and the videos there were always sort of scares about how it would affect children like you know, the video nasty era like in the 80s i don't haven't heard anything about video games back in the 90s but you could but now certainly when i was a kid the addiction to video games was a big sort of story and it's probably even more relevant now because of the amazing um progress that's been made with video game technology i would completely agree i mean i i think i was addicted probably i'd wake up in the morning first thing i'd do is i'd go downstairs to my playstation on really <laughs> last thing i'd do is turn it off and go to bed yeah so no absolutely i mean it's fun. Of... I'm sorry. so i say they're fun they're fun especially this ninja badger game <laughs> i could just visualize oh. it yeah, no, I would, I would, yeah, I'd love to play. Um, I'd love to go back in time and play all those games again. Yeah, say so would I. I think at one point a few years ago, um, they released Sonic, all the Sonic Mega Drive games onto a PlayStation 2. And I think at one point they recently released the Mega Drive again in like a, a new pack and, and some of the games were on there. They should do that because if they are still, there's the nostalgia there. They're easier games to play than now. And also with those games, you had to... Um, complete it in one go you couldn't save the levels like you could previously if you've got it was game over you're back to the beginning yeah and that was soul destroying it was um, <laughs> but you know that's so you know it's so retro that we've done that and it's amazing and if they can do that why can't they um why can't we release um some 2.4 children dvds yeah that's yeah that's a that's a common uh a sort of uh, uh what's the word uh it's it's a regular um not bone of contention i'm trying to think of the phrase the word the phrase it's a common um argument we have on here well not between yeah. the guests but argument with why can't they do it but it's just there's lots of it's so many um sort of yeah. logistical financial reasons unfortunately so ben He's obviously addicted, and that's why he's tired all the time because he's up all night playing it. That's why he falls asleep. He probably literally is up all night playing it. Um, and he mentions that the business is down, so it helps him relax. But make, Bill makes it clear, obviously, he's got control over that, over this, and not doing it. He's clearly got an addiction to the game. And again, from what I said earlier, I think that really kind of brings around to Bill being great in a crisis you know she's there and she she turns it off she takes it off of him and if she wasn't there what what would happen to him yeah it's one of those where you know i think sometimes in couples there's one you know the reality is sort of lot in, in every couple one of them is going to go first that's just a harsh reality of life it's always the thing of one goes who's left behind is it the one who's going to manage on their own and who or the one who's not um and i think in the case mm. of of bill and ben bill is the one where she's left on her own obviously sadly that's what happened in real life and obviously we don't know within the world of the show but she'd manage ben just wouldn't he'd eat rubbish food all the time play video games and be even more lazy than he already is although he works very yeah. hard he does he does work very hard <laughs> 
And I just love the way um, she he, when she does switch it off, she sits back in the chair and he just stands up and he almost walks her to her like Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> and she's just like, Ben, Ben, you know I had to do that. And it's quite, it's a bit sinister. And that's the only time you see Ben a bit of a threatening alpha male almost. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think you would ever, you would ever really believe that it 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 act on anything. But I um, I could certainly um, completely understand his frustration. I mean, he wanted to get to level three. So, well, the whole thing of, of any addiction is going cold turkey, isn't it? So, if you've got an addiction to something, you just get rid of it. It's tough love, as you, as you said earlier. It's tough love, and that's what Bill's showing. But I feel sorry for him when she goes upstairs and says, right, let's put ninja badges out of our mind once and for all. And he looks outside and there's a badger in the garden. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a very, um, he just can't, he sees badges a lot as it comes later on. <laughs> I think that this episode is full of um, great one-liners and just great situational comedy. So like seeing that badger, the badger later on, we'll go on to Sister Virtue. And um, and the um, the policeman just pushing the car. I think it's just great um, physical comedy. It's also the, the foreshadowing. So there's so like in the next scene, we learn that Rona's going to her Catholic school reunion, and the way that they foreshadow things like um, she says, "Well, Sister Virtue is six hundred when she taught me. Um, she'll unlikely turn up unless they wheel her in an iron lung." And then <laughs> later on, when um, David gets Jenny the magazine that she wanted, she's suspicious because he's being nice to her. And Bill says he doesn't mean it. And then says, I heard that there were people in costumes outside the pet shop giving away things, which is something that we get to at the end of the episode. And actually watching these episodes more closely now, everything happens, not just randomly, but something. There's, there's just something that little foreshadows to what's to come. And I just like that. It, it's it's uh, it's always a payoff. Everything's a payoff. It's not just a random funny thing. It's just a payoff all the time. Yeah, the writing is just absolutely excellent in the show. It is, and it's very similar. I mean, again, anyone who listens to the show regularly, you can take your drink of J- JD's regular recurring comments, but it's similar to One Foot in the Grave. You know, you can tell that Andrew Marshall and Dave Renwick work together and they've got very similar ways of approaching how they write their scripts with never just run, putting anything random in for the sake of comedy. There's always a, 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 a gag arriving, yeah. even not straight away later on. It's always a payoff, which I, I, I think a lot of comedy writers today could learn how to do more of. And also uh, the, um, the, the character development as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, you think about this, this scene as well, Rona going to her, um, to her old school reunion. Yeah, that's it's just so out of character, isn't it? But it's it's something that probably would have rubbed off off on her from Bill because she would have done that. She'd have had to have done it. Well, that's the thing, yeah. and 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 the thing is, it's like Rona with the way with, with who we know her to be. It almost feels like, of course, she went to a Catholic school in a sort of yeah. way. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's a kind of stereotype of Catholic schools and the kind of people you know the kind of potential way students will grow up to become you know and what and what we see in the, the next scene is is pretty um pretty telling about the kind of people the range of people that can well help them grow up to be following being in a catholic school but you know the way she says you know we had misery exams and stuff like that 
Um, and then when we learn that she's going, that Bill is going to cheap safe, Jenny looks embarrassed that she's shopping there. She says, oh, I'm 17 and I'm in the underclass. I'm thinking there's there's people born into the underclass, literally born from day yeah. one. Um, so so she's clearly embarrassed by it. Um, and when going back to what Bill said about the pet shop, Ben David says, oh, it's only a coincidence. And he brings him a, home, a goldfish. Yeah, and I just think it's so typical, isn't it? But it's something else for Bill to worry about. But I also think it is. She's also a bit of a, a pretty cool mum, isn't she? Because she lets him keep a fish. Yeah. And obviously it plays out later in the episode, but to not just make him take it back, which is what she could have done in, in any other episode. Take it back. That's not being in my house. I'm not having another mouth to feed. She knows what he's up to. She knows he's got like experiments and random animals. But I think it's one of those where like when it's a rat, for example, obviously that for hygiene purposes, it's really not good. So she sort of gives him a bollocking. But on this occasion, a fish is just a bit easier. I mean, when she says, because I'll have to go and pay for, then I'll have to find, I I suppose I'll have to find money for a fish tank now. You know, it's, it's she's so, as you say, she's very cool and, and sort of lets him have things. I mean, I don't know if it's this next episode or the episode after, she lets him have one of those fake tattoos on his arm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, she does, doesn't she? She's so, yeah, you're right. She is a really cool mum. And she says to the kids, you know, she wants the, um, the house to be um, kind of quaint for, the da- for Ben. And I love the way uh, Belinda Lange has a fantastic way of delivering this. She just goes, I want you to make this house restful for him. Shouts <laughs> her saying, you know, make this very restful. Well, she's saying in, in the probably the least restful tone of voice. <laughs> Yeah, and also um, nobody's to mention badgers. Badgers? I said nobody's to mention badgers. Yeah. yeah and, I, I, love, I love that delivery. I love how she says it so quickly. I said don't mention badgers. <laughs> Just fantastic. Um, and then we enter the gates of the Catholic school where we well, first dries up. And it's just sort of like, it looks like a, a horror film setting. Um, for organ music playing, very eerie. And, and do you know what? Rona's you know dressed in this kind of red sort of white dress I was as she says a dark pinky dress still has a kind of short skirt on a hat she's she's trying to look very respectable for a a Catholic school but she probably still probably seemed to be showing too much skin basically for a Catholic school yeah perhaps so I mean she's she's a very you know she's She's gone on to be very hardworking and, you know, she goes on to be very hardworking, building her own business. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she's perhaps not turned out to be what the school would have liked her to, to have been. But that's, the, that's their religion and she's just doing what she wants to do, as, as, as she should. And it's very progressive for early 90s. Um, and I like when she goes past a sign that says girls found beyond this point will be punished by Sister Mercy. I mean, to have a <laughs> nun called Sister Mercy, because that's probably what they would all be begging for, mercy in inverted commas. <laughs> yeah, that's that's incredible. And the next scene, I think, is another, uh, going back to my point earlier about um, the, the difference between the Claire's. This is a very different way we see Jenny. The way she is very chirpy with Ben, taking on what Bill's told her to do. You know, she gives him a big hug and he's very down and sullen. She asks how his how work was and he's just not responding, very grumpy. And she, I love the way she sort of tripped over her words about seeing Jason. She says, oh, it's no, I'm not having sex or anything. <laughs> and his, his face just keeps 
brightening, you know, his, his eyes keep widening and, and he looks more angry, like he's going to explode. And she just keeps digging herself into a kind of pit of, of just the wrong kind of, um, it's just, just, you know, digging herself into a, I can say into a hole, that's probably not a good thing to say in the context of what she's trying to tell Ben. Well, in a badger hole. Yeah, a badger hole, very good. Mm-hmm. Ah, I like, is that, was that your joke? No, it wasn't. Because <laughs> she says to him, you know, um, saves you badgering me. And then he really goes, man, she goes, right, I'll see you yeah. later. So um, you have actually got a badger joke for us. I, I have got a badger joke for you. Um, Should we say it now while we're on the topic of, of badgers and, and, and saying, we keep referring to badgers in, in all the ways <laughs> you can use the word? Absolutely. It's, it's absolutely no relation to 2.4 children, but I just thought that you would like a badger joke. Um, I tried to find a good one and they were either all rubbish or... You can think about how badger could be used in innuendo. They're all very rude. Yeah. So um, I've got a good middle ground on here, I think. Okay. Okay. A police officer sees a man driving around with a pickup truck full of badgers. He pulls the guy over and says, you can't drive around with badgers in this town. Take them to the zoo immediately. The guy says, okay, and drives away. The next day, the officer sees the guy still driving with a truck full of badgers, and this time they're all wearing sunglasses. He pulls the guy over and demands, I thought I told you to take these badgers to the zoo yesterday. The guy replies, I did, and today I'm taking them to the beach. <sighs> okay. It's, uh, yeah, it's not really the, um, the highlight of your podcast. But, uh, <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm a bit slow when it comes to getting certain jokes sometimes. Um, oh, uh, yeah, 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 I get that. <laughs> yeah, I get that now. <laughs> so like taking them for a trip to the zoo and a trip to the, yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's not bad actually. That's quite, quite a funny one. I, I, I love dad jokes. I'm not a dad. I never will be a dad, but I like dad jokes. <laughs> I like dad jokes. And so we've got a voicemail on uh, a customer saying to Ben that his radiator has been fixed, got another guy to his house. Now I'm going to go on a theory, that's Jake Klinger. Yeah. He comes in two episodes away. So I think that plants the seed that there's a rival and it's one of his old buddies. It would make sense given the continuity, as we we said earlier. Yeah. It would make perfect sense. I find this in episode in the show in each series. There's some things that hint to future episodes, uh, storylines, and moments. So, as you say, the continuity is is really well thought out. Ben puts something in the microwave or microwave, as Nigella Lawson said uh, recently. Um, presses the buttons on the microwave, but he's doing it in a really kind of coordinated way. He goes, "What am I doing? I'm playing the bloody microwave." He's just trying to find a new way to sort of do something else it's almost like he the microwave is the sort of um e-cigarette of of video games yeah absolutely look and there's a great shot of a close-up on the um control and ben's just sort of sticking his head out of the kitchen door looking at it and then he's got his internal voice going go on no Come on, over here. Will you stop it? You stay right here. You know you're tense. I am not tense. And you know, it's um, it's almost like he's got an angel and a demon on his shoulders. 
Yeah, you could. Yeah, I was just about to say that actually. You could. You could actually, if they'd have, um, if they'd have somehow kind of got on the screen um, with, with, with effects to have those on his shoulders, I think that would have been great. Um, and funnily enough, we see him dressed as the devil, as, as Satan in it, and after the fox, you know, when Bill has the dream, and Rona's yeah. an angel, wings at the dry cleaners. And then he get and um, <laughs> I love the horns that Ben wears, which light up. I had those horns actually for a Halloween costume. <laughs> and then he gets the tail. It's, Do you recognise this? She goes, "I hope that's your tail." <laughs> <laughs> and Christine, when she appears, can we hurry up? I've got a Tory MP and a former Director General to put into the fires of hell. <laughs> so yeah, I, and I, actually, you're right. If, if I would love to see him as an angel. Yeah. In the full white gown with the halo it'd be, and the wings, it'd be hilarious. I agree, it would, it would have be. been good to do a special effects there. So Ben goes over to the control and he sort of says, steady now. Um, and actually, going back to um, the, with what we're coming to next at the school reunion, the, the sort of angel and devil sort of thing, very much kind of got that tone of... of um, sort of, 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 a, of a darker tone. And, and even the, the, the sound, the, the, the voice of the devil side of him tempting him is very eerie, which is really in keeping with the show's sort of, with this episode's tone. Absolutely. And I love it when um, the microwave goes off and he takes a bite out of what I, we realise is a microwave cheeseburger. And I think he's quite trying to eat something not to think about it. Screams as it burns in his mouth and then grabs the nearest jug with water and it has the fish floating in. And I love the, the, that image of him screaming with the water going out of his mouth and the fish is just swimming around in the, in the um, jug. It's very funny. Yeah, it's so funny. You know how um, so much comedy just happens in a matter of seconds? Yeah. It's, it's such a well-written scene. And it's very well-coordinated as well, because obviously we, um, Bill puts, tells David to put, some, to put the fish into something else. So we know, so it's all, it's all coordinated in that everything kind of follows on from each other, um, which is how it, how it kind of should be. I say a lot of comedy now is very much all, everything kind of happens and there's no real um, sort of entrance point. It's all just sort of dropped in for no reason. And he calms down when he looks at the fish and says, I'm going to be all right. And the doorbell rings. Jason arrives and Ben looks at the control. And, and you can tell he gets in stress. So the more he gets stressed, the more he really feels the need to look at the control. Yeah. Um, I suppose with, with his chat with Jenny earlier, probably wound him up more than helped him. I think, I think it, it's a good example of perhaps Jenny trying to be a bit more sensitive, a bit more caring. But... Um, but really just as well as as we said earlier just digging a hole for herself yeah and so jason showing up right now doesn't help anything at all no. and also that uh, message on the phone about someone else taking work he's already stressed about business anyway so it's just home and work life is just not helping his stress level yeah. at all this next scene is at the school reunion and i think it's a brilliant brilliant a bit of directing acting writing and and just overall set design you have a very poorly written sign on a white sheet that says welcome old girls and underneath it is the sign which is kind of bordered on the seat sort of under the ceiling that says the wages of sin and death <laughs> <laughs> and a nun, there's a nun on a keyboard playing not the most enticing and entertaining of, of music and there's another one going around with a glass of water 
um, on a tray offering it like it's champagne. And Rona says, oh, no, thanks. And the nun just looks really offended at her. And she goes, well, I'm just, I don't want to overdo it. And she's just <laughs> like, oh, God, you know, it's just it is one of those. She's very anxious all the time. Yeah, it's uh, to think that that's kind of like the pinnacle, the highlight of the entertainment and refreshments just, yeah. just says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, and then she's worried about sticking her foot in, like saying something wrong and, and that will offend the nuns. And um, probably like she was at, at school, even though it's funny, you know, it's like almost like she's back at school. She's a, she's a grown woman. She's got her own house, her own business. You say she works hard, lives how she wants to. But when you're at school or when you're with teachers, I find this, you almost, if you keep in touch with the teachers, you still refer to them by their surname or you just want to kind of have that conversation. Let's just drop the formalities. <laughs> you know, we're not kids anymore, but you still feel like a, ch- a student. You feel like a child again. No, absolutely. I completely agree with that. And that at a, a Catholic school would just be absolutely to, to, to a much greater degree yeah. of sense, wouldn't it? 100%. percent never call a nun by a first name, would you? No, definitely not. Uh, not or, or even the surname without sister or miss. It's like I'm a sister. I've devoted my life to the church. You know, there's no kind of um, miss or missus. It's all just sister, as it should be. That's that's the, that's just the choice, and that's that's um, to be respected. Absolutely. Carol Riley is one of Rona's old friends, and she sat next to her in catechisms. Um, and this woman is played by an actress called Tessa Wyatt. Um, she does look a lot older than Rona, and I found that um, Tessa White was born in 1948, so she's nine years older than Julia Hills. And um, she is best known for playing Vicky in Robin's Nest, the Man About House spin-off opposite Richard O'Sullivan. Um, and it's funny, she, she has a, a dress on that looks very, like, um, very buttoned up and very prim and proper. She's got, like, the pearl necklace and the kind of specky glasses. Um, she looks a little bit like Mary Whitehouse, a young Mary Whitehouse. I think she would have been just the absolute model student of that school. Yes. I, I can imagine Rowan being at that school. I can imagine her not necessarily being overly rebellious at school. I can imagine her wanting to try and please people. Yeah. But it all just going very south for her. Yeah, but, she, just wasn't you know, right. she just wasn't right for that school. That's the no, thing. I think a lot of us grow up and realise we weren't right for school, but it's just something that we all have to go to and get through as quickly as possible. Yeah. I just wanted to say um, to all the kids listening, when they say you grow up and wish you were back at school, I mean, I'm not, I'm 26 and I'm not, I thought that yet. <laughs> no, I, I'd love to go back to infant school and really those days, but junior, no, junior school is good. Secondary school, no, thanks. No. Yeah, 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 um, teenagers can be a nightmare. And, you know, you're absolutely right what you say about Carol um, being kind of a model student because she's grown up to kind of go, she's gone abroad, she's got five children and works with the homeless, doesn't know how to find all the time to work with the homeless. (laughs) And um, when she asks Rona what she's done um, and says, you know, how did you find your missionary position? (laughs) (laughs) And, And she means, who did you work with? And it's just, and you know, it's just, it's just a nice little bit of innuendo and, and the fact that Rona mentions that she worked with the homeless in Africa and had six children trying to get one up on Carol. She had a children called Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch. Yeah, it's just always one line, isn't it? The, the way that she panics as well. <laughs> but yeah. she says, um, 
I've worked with headless children. Yes, yes. <laughs> she's just kind of, she's just kind of coming out with whatever she can. What just comes to comes out, and then we ask, "Oh no, wait, homeless children." <laughs> and um, even before all that happens, like Carol catches at the wrong point when she's she's got the little bottle of booze, isn't she? She's trying to pour yeah. it in the water. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah. It's and uh, just... yeah, it's it's a great bit of acting and great bit of coordination between the actors. You can tell it's rehearsed well. Um, yeah, and they know they yeah. just know what they're doing, and I look and you've interested what you say for about being a bit rebellious and um, about potentially Rona being quite rebellious growing up, because when Carol says to you, you know, you were always a bit of a joker, I knew you'd turn out well. I don't mind telling this at the time, all of us girls thought you were a bit of a tart. <laughs> <laughs> it's the way she says it as well, um, and I wonder how they thought that because like it's an all girls school. I'm assuming it's a boarding school. I assume it's a boarding school. Yeah, yeah. I, I, would, I would assume so with, with the big gates at the front. Yeah, and, and the fact that there were no lads around. Yeah. How would they know? Not like she'd have been able to sneak in a, a, a copy of, I don't know, a, a, just a magazine of some kind of, of men. <laughs> or Les from Home and Away. True, very true. Or in, <laughs> or in, in their day when... 70s probably someone like david ha- david um cassidy or or the, one of the osmonds the yeah. more them who were mormons so probably that would have been probably either allowed because they were religious or not allowed because they were mormons and not catholic um yeah it's it's um I, I, it's, you wonder how yeah she wouldn't have got away with um short skirts oh no definitely not uh, they thought she they actually bettered that she would end up no good but then she's not ends up no good. She well, but maybe in their eyes that's the case. But she's actually just doing her, living her own life, and you don't care about anyone. exactly. And if you're not, and at the end of the day, if it's not, she doesn't believe in the religion and the teachings. She can do what she wants, and but but she lies to her and says that her husband dies, and and then mentions the catering business, which Carol then says while her friend's planning a wedding for Elvis, which is probably the next episode. Yeah, which is also a very good episode. It really is, and 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 so, you know, would Carol would more would Carol have been there? She doesn't appear. Um, you can imagine Rona desperately trying to avoid her if she was there. Yes, hundred percent. But then, as but when she says, you know, please don't um mention about my struggles, and almost pretends to kind of struggle. <laughs> you know, she's kind of. She's um, able to sort of ha- um, prevent any awkwardness or any tripping up later on. It's almost like mum's the word almost. Hmm. And then the, the nun who announces that for the help of the Sisters of the Sacred Heart Hospital, Sister Virtue is wheeled in, in an iron lung. I mean, that's just a fantastic image. An iron lung is, oh God, I'd, I'd, I just wouldn't want, uh, no, <laughs> just whatever illness I've got, no, it looks it looks and it comes across horrendous. I, I I just I just love how it's so funny. It's 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 so stupid. It you know how she comes out with with, with the mirror and and the, the the music is being played on on the organ and the look of the look of horror on Rona's face. It's amazing. It's a really well written moment because. You've gone from, um, I mean, 
Julia Hills is great in this, I mean, in every episode, but in this particular scene, she kind of has gone from being like a child or like that student again, frightened of the, the, the disciplinarians of the nun, lying to her old um, pupil, fellow pupil. And then when the Sister Virtue comes out, she is that little girl again, terrified of the teacher who, as you say, the, the music just, the fact that they are playing the music, not for the, from the production, but on the set, it's just <laughs> like, it's just trying, it's, it's every, it is every stereotype in the book, really, let's be honest. It is, it's, it's, it's so funny. And I think this really is, it's Rona's episode, race, isn't it? She is the star of this episode. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's fun to get to know a bit more because in other shows, a similar character you wouldn't get to know very much about. She would just be the kind of tarty sitcom character, and she's always there occasionally. But you do get to know her very well. You could even say she has to go through the most um, development of all the characters, especially yeah, in this series. She... Well, from how she starts out, and she's. She's desperate to be more. She's got depth. That's the thing. And there's depth to the character. And also with a lot of characters who are kind of um, sort of promiscuous female characters in sitcoms, they're always, I always say, perpetually rampant, you know, just con- constantly wanting a man <laughs> there yeah. and then. But she's just, she, you know, she's, she's just gone sort of, yeah, maybe high sex drive than normal, but she's just, she, but she's professional. She kind of does her thing and, she works, as you say, and 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 by going to a Catholic school that she hated just for the business, it shows her commitment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love her involvement in this scene. I think it's probably played out from start to end. It's probably one of the best scenes in the entire show for me. Yeah, yeah I like. Are you including the next scene in the school reunion as well? Um, yeah. Yeah, both of them. Grill. We'll go. Um. Yeah, the whole thing is a great bit of comedy, but also that subversive quality, which we'll go on to in a moment because we've got another scene before that. Um, Chaz is Christine's brother. Appears and men- and Ben mentions the blue car over the road. Um, Rowan didn't leave a key, so he says he'll use his mechanic keys, which is basically like almost like a crowbar sort of thing. So he's clearly yes. going to go into it. Um, and leave some kind of dent potentially but then again i it's probably going to find a way around it i don't know um i don't know how it all works i'm one of those people who's like let's get a, let's get a man in because i don't know how to do yeah anything. or a woman i'm not obviously not uh, anyone who, who just deals with these things as long as it's not me as long as it's not me because i can't do diy <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i recognize the guy and just an imdb search he's um peter heppelthwaite who was in the green green grass uh, the okay. only full spin-off. Yeah, I um I've not watched that, but I did recognise him. He's in a lot. He's been in like the Bill and other. Or, or, he's, he, I think he's one of those. He's been in at least one episode of everything, of, yeah. of and he's actually been in the show before. Um, I recognise him now. He was in the second episode, Saturday night and Sunday morning, when Bill walks past a group of builders, and one of them says, "Nice ass." And he's got his top off and he's kind of trousers a bit bit low down, showing top of the crack. And he's like, what's her problem? And he pulls the trousers. That's him. Is it? Oh, maybe that's where I recognise him from then. 
Yeah, and the thing I find with a lot of shows is, and I think One Foot in the Grave is the same, sometimes actors will come in playing different characters, mm. which I think yeah. works. And soaps do it all the time, especially. And I love it when um, Jensen's waiting and Jenny says, I'm not ready yet. So obviously um, Ben's got to sort of keep the conversation going. <laughs> yeah, he's hating every single second of it. I love it when he says um, women, eh? They're all the same. Jason's very, <laughs> Jason's very woke for the 90s, isn't he? And he's like, how? <laughs> Not getting the humour. But um, the funny thing is, Jason as a dad now would probably say, make a comment like that to a modern day daughter's boyfriend. Perhaps <laughs> so, yeah. And Jason mentions that they wouldn't do anything before marriage. It's very... Um, very 1950s I wouldn't I, if you'd asked me what era if you asked I mean like when you think of grandparents era I mean I'm sure they didn't when you when you, speak, when you hear about old people older people who mm. say oh you know everyone in my day waited till marriage why were babies born six months after the wedding come on <laughs> you know yeah. I don't think they were premature births all the time <laughs> but I don't believe I, I don't you might know more maybe more than me was it a 90s thing i know you were a young kid but from people you know was it a 90s thing to wait till marriage for teenagers um i i can't imagine it being um i'm sure it happened mm. um but I, I can't necessarily imagine it I, I can i can think that perhaps whilst this conversation would probably reassure ben in some way it probably also absolutely just hate having this conversation as well um yeah it, it i think jason's um very brave to even talk about this yeah i mean like <laughs> he, he, you know to, to be mentioning marriage anyway is quite a big step especially when they're only teenagers especially when he says you know i imagine what it'd be like you know i work for you and then come home Jenny's waiting for it, and then uh, Ben just goes, Jenny, for God's sake, hurry up! <laughs> and then looks think, at the control. I think when you're a teenager, you think you've, you think you're set, you think you've got your life sorted and you know everything. And then you get a bit older and you realise, I didn't know anything at all. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I realise I'm 10 years from when I was 16 this year. And I just think... Oh. I saw some pictures recently and I'm just like, God, you know, how much changes in <laughs> 10 years or even five years or even three years? It's crazy. So we have the scene back at the reunion. This is a very, I adore this scene because it really sums up for me how wonderfully subversive 2.4 Children is as a sitcom. So you've got the um, the sister virtue in the iron lung. So the, the mirror is still sticking from out, upwards from her face. So the whole crowd can see her face so she will still be looking at them she probably would be able to still look at them in the eye even through the mirror and i'm going to do the impression i'm going to do my best as i can of her speech over the years my many of my girls have called me a tartar a disciplinarian a stickler for morals for obedience for truth and i say to them this the liar shall burn in hell and why will the girl who commits falsehood thrive forever in the pits of excruciating damnation? Because every time a lie is uttered, the innocent deceived, a devil is released into the world. Yes, a foul demon 
will sit on her shoulder and he shall fly aboard the land and commit evil. And while she says that last bit, orange light flickers on her face and on the crowd, even on Rona. It's almost like reflections of flames and, and hell. It's very eerie and horrifying. Within a Catholic school full of nuns, it's, yeah, it's... Terrifying. It's, really creepy and it makes me think about did you ever have teachers in school who would they would purposely try and scare you through um having you know they'd have quite a soft-spoken voice but then all of a sudden they'd really enunciate and come up I think schools are a lot different these days I think I think um there's a lot more based on conversations with kids and trying to reason, isn't there? Whereas yeah. then it was it was very much just, yeah. I am in charge. Yes. I, I will was, discipline you. Yeah, because the funny thing is I'm born in 95 and it's interesting. I read some article recently that people born in 95 and the beginning of 96 are from the last generation you could consider as millennials because Generation Z is sort of post then. I feel more in line with millennials than I do with Generation Z in the current sort of younger gen even just a couple of years younger than me it seems they lived through a very different era because i went to school in 99 i have a, a teacher who was a lot like that and their assemblies were so frightening and i can imagine if they'd done something like this when rona was a child in the assembly hall that is just terrifying i mean no wonder you know a lot of people grew up messed up from going to school not necessarily a catholic school just school in general because you're you really if you take all the innocence is just knocked out really through words <laughs> yeah, absolutely and yeah it, and watching this as a child as well because there's no laugh track in this bit is there it's all you know it, it's quite it's quite funny with the image of you know the nun in behind lung and and the lights flashing and the image of you know of flames and all and all the ladies looking absolutely terrified but there's no laugh track and watching that as a child terrifying it really is and the thing is like the the, the especially the, the the image on on the mirror the eyes sort of go a bit red it's almost like a, a horror film it's like a horror scene actually which leads perfectly into the next scene because some of her monologue continues as a voiceover but in a different setting which is when bill is leaving cheap save with some bags and do you notice she walked past a woman who was the prostitute that she met in episode one of series three, Secret Diary of David Porter? Yeah. When she says to her, hop it, this is my pitch. This is from thinking that it's that Bill was a prostitute while they were standing waiting for a car. Well, I think that's the same woman. I mean, it's, she's, cre she's credited on IMDb as being the same woman from that episode. And the, the line is, um, before, before, before that very day is out. Sorry, so for before that very day is out, an innocent shall suffer, suffer for her evil and wicked sin. So we're looking at Bill so we know something's good. And this is where it gets very scary. Bill walks under the pathway, underground pathway. It's very dark. It's not, I, I would do a, a, I know, a, a longer walk because I wouldn't want to go down that kind of path. She hears an evil, very creepy laugh. It's very eerie. And then she says, hello, who's that? Hello, Echo. And behind her in the light, the light there's a dark um, hand shadow coming out at her. So she runs up the steps. And as she does so, 
famous line that I think a lot of kids from that era gave nightmares. A whisper that says, don't go higher. As you said, there's no laugh in that at all. She gets in the car and Rona's in the passenger seat. She left early. How she got there, I don't know. Because <laughs> it looks like that school was in the middle of nowhere, not just around the corner from Cheap Save. I'd like to know how she climbed over the gate. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because they were going to, unless she went to Sister Mercy. <laughs> yeah, unless she did. I mean, it's a frightening scene anyway. And a lot of kids I know watched it when, well, adults now who watched it as kids, I've, I've spoken to, said that scene really gave them the creeps when they were growing up. I personally think, and I can only speak for myself, this one scene. I think it's the most iconic scene of the entire show. I think it, it's it's what always stuck out in my mind. And whenever I've spoken to people um, about the show who perhaps don't, you know, who don't follow it, aren't fans of it, but know of it, more than one person has said to me, oh, is that the show where she's walking in on the underpass and that figure comes out? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's the show. That, yeah. that is the show. Um, it absolutely terrified me as a child. I, I, I remember being really, um, really scared by it and deliberately avoiding underpasses. I mean, at that age, I wasn't going under underpasses by myself. Yeah, yeah. But still, um, yeah, it was really, really creepy. But I absolutely love it. I do. I think it's one of those where when people say to me, oh, Two Point for Children was just like my family, sort of easy to watch, knock about family sitcom. This is not a scene you see in my family or in, in many other sitcoms. I think British Empire and One Foot in the Grave have moments of horror that are sit, but with a serious horror. There's no real mm. sense of, I say, there's no gag in this at all. It's genuinely played for, for very straightly. And the thing I like about it is it actually plays out in the rest of series three and it actually comes to a a very interesting um, payoff to the, the, what well, Maya means. It's the, um, it is the, the ongoing storyline of series three, isn't it? Yes, and Andrew Marshall explained, describes it as a dark angel. So it's almost like, and this is why I think he's potentially Angelo in the distance but but not not quite as he was but something very similar so do you think that the figure coming down um, into the underpass and the voice of Dungo Maya do you think that they are the same entity or do you think that they're separate entities they could be the same but in a different sort of personality type or if they are separate entities he is a darker version of Angelo because I always wondered what would she have seen if she'd have turned round and gone the other way? What, what would she have been confronted with? I know it'd be yellow eyes. <laughs> Someone with yellow eyes. Um, yeah. It's the thing. It's a warning of some kind. And every episode from now on has some link to it. She dreams it. And also there's a, there's a, the, 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 the woman who comes to inspect the house in uh beaming up scotty has maya on her book yeah so it's very creepy 
just the illustrations at some point, doesn't she as well? Yes, I think it's I think it's a brilliant story arc, and I I agree with you. It is a very iconic moment in the show because it it does feel like a lot of people remember it well. Yeah, and again, I think I think this is something that they could have gone back to at the very end of the series mm. when you think about um, Angela. Yeah, I um, yeah, I love the scene. I mean, in my mind, it was always two separate entities. Yeah. So I, I always thought the voice perhaps was Angelo, and he was protecting her from what was coming. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I just think we never really learn too much about it. We 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 eventually learn what Maya means. Yeah. But we don't know too much about how about who's saying don't go my about this figure yeah and i think in a way it's it's it, there's two kinds of people who might react differently in the same way of angelo some of people wanted more explanation and more of a conclusion i look personally i think i'm in the other group of i like the ambiguity of it and it's mm. more spooky and i like that it's more not not made clear but I like that more. I like that in horror. So I'm a big horror fan as well as sitcoms. And I like horror that's a bit more ambiguous and, and leaves your interpretation, personally. No, absolutely. And I, yeah, I can I could definitely see that. And it adds to um, the depth of the show. Yes. And it allows you to kind of come up with your own kind of thoughts and ideas. And, and I, I absolutely love it. Um I think I'm just a bit more of a stickler for wanting an explanation. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, perhaps, I, I, I think the series ended in a really nice way, under tragic circumstances, but with a great kind of finale with a millennium. But looking at kind of how Andrew Marshall wrote everything and how he linked everything together, I think that if there were kind of if it was a, a series nine, yeah, then perhaps there could have been some a bit more of an explanation as to who Angelo was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this scene is honestly just incredible. It really is. I I um I I I'm looking forward to doing this one because I think the horror elements in the show, as I've obviously written a full article about, there is so much to say though and so much to dissect. And another reason why A, the show's underrated, B, why we, and B, why we're doing this podcast, to really get into this depth of why the show deserves much more credit um, and deserves more um, recognition than it, it gets. You know, looking back, I actually was quite scared of that scene. or I was, I was more mesmerised by it because I hadn't seen a scene like it before, before I sort of watched proper horror. Um, and sort of being quite young, and at that time it would have been a, ten years after this episode had been shown. I kind of thought, wow, this is really, really interesting. And the way that Bill and Rona run into the kitchen, so the way Bill and Rona run into the house, afraid that something bad happened because Rona had some suspicion that something would happen. But Bill did as well. Bill tries to be kind of the rational thinker, but sometimes she just isn't. She'll 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 believe that vampire lives next door to them at one point so that's the thing about it that i like um but then everything's fine the house is okay and we learned that bill actually took the badge as ben cartridge with her and it, i just that just feels 
like I can just recognize that because it's like a cartridge for a video game. It's really cool. I know. And again, it's it's just um an illustration about tough luck. Like you didn't even know but she took it. Yeah. And he was torturing himself all day, but she did it for him. Exactly. And I like the um bit of writing. So some nice tender writing in this moment when Ben says, you know, he was looking at the fish and it made him relax because he was like sort of seeing, well, the fish can cope in a small confined space. I can as well. And you think, oh, that, that's really sweet. And then obviously it, it turns very quickly um, because Rona says that her car is still parked on the drive and they look outside and there's a space next to it. And obviously there's been some misunderstanding and stuff. So he, he quickly goes back to the to the badger, like, I need the badger. And um, there's a bit of a little mini um, scrap and stuff. And then, you know, she says, right, shut up about bloody badgers as the doorbells. <laughs> and then enters a man in a giant badger <laughs> costume with a sash around him saying pet world. And that's another great bit of a payoff from what um, clearly from the pet shop that David got the fish from. And it's just a great little bit because Ben's just like jaw drop, like staring at it. It was It's a bit like someone's got an addiction to drugs and they see a giant marijuana coming into the house. So funny. Yeah, it's great. Um, it is almost like an addiction to giant badgers. Badgers everywhere, isn't it? Badgers in the garden. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, from, from all over the place. And the way that, you know, Bill just says like, I want you to calm down, I want you to go into the kitchen and look at the fish yes yeah <laughs> steer your addiction to something else the fish where the fish is watch the fish and you'll be fine yeah it's it's a really great payoff as well from that little moment when he talks about what the fish relaxes him and tells us to put the kettle on and what we realize is when the guy says you know have you seen the blue triumph it's gone so you know it's his that's mm. been taken by Chaz. And then when Bill says, you know, I'm afraid there's been a horrible misunderstanding while Ben's in the kitchen and puts a plug into the socket, which we assume it's the kettle. And um, and then she's like, Ben, are you OK? Yeah, I'm fine. Switches it on and the liquidizer starts to go. And it's a horrible realisation that they've killed it. They killed the fish. Now, that would be a great ending to the episode. And then this is the net. This is this bit is another scene that I remember growing up loving and I think really already enhances an already, I think, quite iconic episode, quite a very um, classic episode, when there's a bit of a, well, I, I think um, academics today would call it postmodernism, <laughs> but I'm just calling it, um, but I'm just going to say it's a nice bit of breaking the fourth wall. So Gary Olson talks directly to the camera with his hand resting on, I think it's a camera with the BBC TV logo, the old BBC logo on there. And he sort of says, hi, I'm Gary Olson. And all of us here at 2.4 Children would like you to share in the secret that made that last joke possible. So what I like is the credits are rolling, the end, the theme tune is playing sort of quietly in the background, and, they, and he goes into the full explanation. So it's a real fish in the liquidizer. Then after we see Belinda, which is when she asks if he's all right, they stop with the recording. And we hear the director, which I assume is Richard Bowden, saying, cut it there and change the fish. The email runner runs on with a fish bowl and a jug and switches the false fish and a real one over. So the real one is in the fish bowl because as Gary says, we care deeply about all living creatures. So I love that reassurance to the audience. That's what you see at the end of credits. No animal was harmed in the making of this. So she takes the jug, but leaves the bowl with the real fish and the director's counting down to, to, to cue and says, right, get rid of the fish. 
and Gary just puts it in the microwave, which she would. She just want to hide it. It's not going to be seen. Says, Q Ben, reenacts there. Yeah, I'm fine. Presses the button and the microwave goes off. And the scene, mm. and the scene, and the funny thing is the camera lingers on the microwave and you can see the fish roll, you know, swimming in the bowl. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's a fantastic way to end. Because if it was the, the scene when it always ends on a big sort of gag and, and the Ben's shock on his face when the, it's in the liquidizer, that could have been just a perfectly fine ending. But by tagging this bit on at the end, it just, I like the production of it, that they're breaking out of character like they do for the musical numbers of the Christmas specials. And it's like, now I want to know how they made that last joke possible. <laughs> the secret. Yeah. It's, um, I reckon that, you know, sometimes... And you can tell that so much thought goes into um, putting the show together and the writing, and it must take a long time to, to do that. Yeah. Um, but you can almost imagine that just being like a last-minute kind of genius idea. Yeah. Oh, shall we, shall we try this? Um, and it just plays off again how how, how the humour is so much different in this show, how cynical it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant way to wrap the episode up. And I like what I like as well as the um, it's it's occasionally done. It's not something that happens all the time. You think of um, Mrs. Brown's boys, they do bloopers in inverted commas. They're obviously staged, but it's all the time. It's at least about three an episode. And I just get a bit bored after a while. Some of it's quite funny, but sometimes you just think, oh, come on. But at least with this, it's something that happens very um, occasionally. And it's just very amusing for that reason. It's unexpected. You feel like you never quite know what to expect. In this show, you've seen an episode with horror, very serious horror, and then a moment of self-referential humour almost and, and um, sort of taking the mickey out of everything. I mean, it's funny because I read an interview with Belinda Lang and they said in the from like the late 90s where said that people got really angry with the animal treatment on the show. And it is very like one foot in the grave in that the, the way they treat animals and people just think animals actually are harmed and they're obviously not it's all special effects and it's all but it's just it's i don't know i like animals but i think at the same time it's just a bit of it's just it's dark humor you either like it or you don't really oh yeah definitely there's no there's no harm in the um the comedy behind it exactly and it's all i say it's it's not um it's not real the tone and and i think the the, the, the episode and the ending definitely elevates it to classic status for me um yeah, it's a really great episode. It's probably my favourite of Series 3. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And, you know, would you say you remember Don't Go Meyer as, as a child, as so did I. And the fish scene I remember as well. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. remember that and being really taken aback that they did that. So I think I know the answer to this question, but how many stars out of five? Oh, five stars, definitely. I think... For the three really key reasons, uh, one being the whole "Don't Go Maya," I think that's that's incredible. I think also there's just so many great one-liners and and the situational comedy of badges everywhere. Yeah, um, it's so funny, and also the great development of um, Rona's character we we'll get. Yeah, definitely. It's it's all um, it's all going. It's all still a very strong stage. Stay strong. For a series, it's pretty consistent, but it's definitely developing into a really, really strong classic show. Matt, it's been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed this episode. Um, it's a particularly interesting 
content in it and you've brought a lot of passion so thank you very very much for that where can people find you thank you ever so much um quite a low profile on social media i'm in the um, 2.4 children fan group on facebook so always happy to catch up with people in there brilliant we're looking forward to uh to more geeky chats like this in the future thank you very much matt and uh, appreciate you coming on thank you Thank you, everyone, for listening today. And next week, it'll be Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. And we've got Forrest returning. Uh, very Another brilliant episode. Very good appearance by Sandra Dickinson as Tina. Till next week, stay safe and don't go higher.